everybody, welcome to the 55th episode of our World News Podcast. This is going from August 13th through the 20th. This podcast is part of Atlas News, along with all of our other news podcasts. Check out the Legal Minds Journal, a veteran and active duty publication focusing on foreign and military affairs, art and culture. Take a look at the journal's bulletin from the Borderlands. That's a bi-weekly foreign affairs publication from multiple talented intelligence analysts and independent journalists. Head over to lethalmindsjournal.substack.com or Instagram at lethal.minds.journal to see more. Also, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash analyze educate, or you can support us on ko-fi at ko-fi.com slash analyze educate as well. Uh, speaking of Patreon, we have an episode currently out right now that is with Northern Provisions and with uh, Mr. Landon Pinnell, who was at the evacuation at HKIA, and he was also present for the shutdown of Bagram Air Base. So me and Northern talked to uh, Landon about his experiences there. That is up for patrons only right now, and then I will be releasing that for everybody uh, probably midweek this week. But if you want to listen to it early, you can do so on Patreon. You just got to be a supporter. And then also got a podcast coming out soon with uh, Northern Provisions as well. We just recorded one today, actually, on August 20th. So that one will be coming out probably next week, if I had to guess. And then I also have a podcast with John from the Defense Bulletin, uh, the Expeditionary Intelligence Group. And we sit down with Cass's belly and basically ask him some questions about what's been going on with Niger. So if you're still completely confused about what's been going on with Niger these past few weeks, uh, take a listen to that episode when it releases probably within, within the next week. And that should be a pretty good explainer for you. But with that being said, that is all I have for you guys as far as notes go. Let's get into the podcast. All right, looking at Poland, on the 14th, two men were arrested on the suspicion of spying for Russia. According to the Interior Ministry, the two men spread Wagner Group propaganda in the cities of Warsaw and Krakow. Apparently, the men handed out stickers with the Wagner logo that said in English, quote, we are here, join us, end quote, and had a QR code linked to a Russian website about the private military company. This comes as Poland is expressing concerns over thousands of Wagner fighters near its border with Belarus. Those concerns caused Poland to announce the deployment of a permanent 4,000 troop task force to the border. Moving on to the South Caucasus, uh, we've gone over this every week. The blockade of the Lachkin Corridor is still ongoing. That has been going on for over eight months at that point, or at this point, excuse me, shows no sign of ending on the 15th. Azerbaijani troops opened fire on uh, the European Union ceasefire observers near the border with Armenia. Those observers were able to get out of their vehicles and run for cover. Thankfully, this is the first case of Azerbaijani forces firing on EU personnel. There were no casualties again, thankfully. Moving on to Russia, top generals from Russia, Bolivia, and Venezuela met in Moscow this week to hammer out the details of a trilateral military alliance. The legislators of the two Latin American states were not made aware of this trip. No additional details of this meeting were made publicly available. This also comes as Bolivia began to receive the first components for a Russian-built nuclear reactor that will be placed at the El Alto Nuclear Technology Research and Development Center in the country. Also on the 16th, Colonel General Gennady 
Zhidko died due to a long-term illness. Zhidko was the deputy minister of defense and was also the commander of Russian forces in Ukraine from May to October 2022, so that's a significant loss. Looking at the war on the 14th, Russian sailors from the patrol ship Vizili Baikov boarded and searched a Palauan-flagged cargo ship, uh, Sukru Okan, as it was transiting international waters in the Black Sea. Russia previously announced that all ships in the Black Sea were subject to inspection after the expiration of the Black Sea grain deal last month that we spoke about previously. Sukru Okan was let go to continue its trip to the Ukrainian port of Izmal. This is the first documented case of Russia boarding and searching a cargo vessel since the invasion began. Also, Stian Jensen, who is the chief of staff to the NATO Secretary General, told a Norwegian newspaper that in order for Ukraine to gain entry into NATO, it may have to give up some territory to Russia. Uh, Mikhailo Polodyak, who is an advisor to President Zelensky, called the suggestion ridiculous and absolutely unacceptable. After receiving the backlash from Ukraine, Jensen said, quote, my statement about this was part of a larger discussion about possible future scenarios in Ukraine, and I shouldn't have said it that way. It was a mistake, end quote. NATO also responded, saying that it will continue to support Ukraine as long as necessary, and it is committed to achieving a just and lasting peace. The position of the alliance is clear and has not been changed, end quote. And also, RFK Jr., who, of course, is running in the Democrat primary for the 2024 U.S. presidential election, accused President Joe Biden of deliberately sabotaging a peace deal between Ukraine and Russia last year. He claims that Biden directed former U.K. Prime Minister Boris Johnson to travel to Kiev in spring 2022 and, quote, blow up a potential peace deal to end the conflict. The White House hasn't responded to the accusation, and Kennedy offered no evidence for this claim. should be noted, though, that former Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett has previously claimed that he traveled to Russia in March 2022 and hammered out details of a ceasefire that both countries tentatively agreed to, but the U.S. blocked his attempt at mediating a ceasefire agreement. That's what he claims. Also, last year in April, Turkish Foreign Minister Mevlut uh, Kavasoglu claimed that some NATO countries wanted to prolong the war because they wanted to see Russia weakened, although he did not say which countries wanted this. He did not expand on that statement. Moving on to the Indo-Pacific region, looking at North Korea, the country has finally spoke out regarding the U.S. Army soldier that fled into North Korea in July. North Korea claims that private second class Travis King fled into the country due to, quote, inhumane maltreatment and racial discrimination, end quote. The statement did not say if King would face punishment from crossing the border illegally or where he was. Responding to the statement from North Korea, the Pentagon said that their priority was to have King brought home safely through all available channels. Moving on to China, I missed this last week. China has arrested a worker from a military industrial group on the accusation that he spied on behalf of the CIA. The man was identified only as Zheng, his family name, who's a 52-year-old that the Ministry of State Security claims sold military secrets to the CIA in exchange for payments. He was studying in Italy on behalf of his employer when he allegedly came into contact with a CIA agent using a cover as an embassy employee. The MSS claims that Zheng developed a psychological dependence on the U.S. official who took the opportunity to indoctrinate him with Western values. The CIA has not commented on this allegation.
Moving on to Central Asia and the Middle East, Israel has rejected the idea of Saudi Arabia's diplomatic post to the Palestinian Authority being placed in Jerusalem. Currently, the Saudi ambassador to Jordan, who is Naif al-Sudariya, is the country's only diplomatic representative to the PA at this time. Israel says that while he can continue to visit the Palestinian Authority for diplomatic purposes, Saudi Arabia cannot have a permanent presence in the area. This comes amid speculation that Saudi Arabia and Israel are working towards establishing diplomatic ties. And looking at Afghanistan, on the 15th, four Taliban members were killed by an explosion in Takar province. That attack was claimed by the National Resistance Front on the second anniversary of the Taliban rising to power in the country. We will take a quick break and we'll be back with Africa. All right, and we're back with Africa looking at Niger. The situation regarding the recent military coup is still tense. The economic community of West African states, otherwise known as ECOWAS, maintains that it will militarily intervene in Niger if the military junta does not restore President Mohamed Bazoum to power. Negotiations between the two sides uh, to end the dispute peacefully continue, but have made very little progress. Niger has raised its military readiness and begun recruiting civilians into the Volunteers for the Defense of Niger Militia. Despite this, the junta is trying to moderate its position on the world stage. In a recent interview with the New York Times, the junta appointed Prime Minister Ali Lamine Zene said that President Bouzoum will not be harmed by the regime. Additionally, he says Niger wants France to keep a presence in the country, but does ask for more respect from the French. Also, he says that Niger will not request assistance from the Wagner Group and praised the, quote, extremely reasonable position of the Biden administration uh, in terms of negotiations, which have been ongoing with the junta. It should be noted that the junta has said they will prosecute Bazoum on the charge of high treason, so we'll see what happens with that. Bazoum's former advisor, Usman Abdul uh, Malmouni, announced the creation of the Resistance Council for the Republic, an anti-coup movement. He said the organization would be carrying out actions to restore Bozum to power, but didn't expand on that. Mamouni is a formal rebel leader, so he does have some experience of fighting against the government, but it really isn't clear what exactly this organization of his is going to do, if anything. Also, Mali and Burkina Faso, who as we have been saying, are both run by military juntas, continue to support Niger. The two countries formally asked the African Union and the UN Security Council to prevent an EGOWAS military intervention. Also, the U.S. is formulating plans to evacuate its roughly 1,100 military personnel in the country. We'll see if anything comes of that. And really, the latest update on the situation is that ECOWAS claims it has chosen a day to begin its military operation in Niger, but it did not announce what day that would be. So we're pretty much just waiting to see what happens at this point. Moving on to Sudan, fighting between the Sudanese Armed Forces and the Rapid Support Forces. RSF continues. The war is so far forced 4.4 million people from their homes, 1 million of those have fled to other countries. Additionally, between 4,000 and 10,000 people have been killed 
the RSF announced the creation of the Sudan Agency for Relief and Humanitarian Operations, which will coordinate humanitarian aid in areas that the RSF controls. The Sudanese Civil Aviation Authority has reopened the airspace in the eastern part of the country. Airspace in the capital city, Khartoum, is still closed. Between August 12th and the 14th, heavy artillery bombardments and airstrikes were reported in the city of Niala. The RSF claims that at least 45 people were killed during this time, but that report has not been verified. Also on the 13th, the SAF's 11th Infantry Division claims that it seized a weapon shipment bound for RSF troops with over 100 rifles. The SAF believes the shipment came from a neighboring country, but did not expand on that statement. Moving on to the Americas, uh, Bulletin for the Borderlands released on the 15th, and the Americas desk covered uh, an Ecuadorian presidential candidate being assassinated just before the election, which is set to be held on the 20th. And uh, we also looked at Chinese espionage in the United States. Looking at Haiti, as conversations regarding an international peacekeeping force deploying to Haiti continue, the leader of one major gang has already made it clear that he will fight foreign troops. Uh, Jimmy uh, Chesier, who's also known as Barbecue, is the leader of the G9 gang, and he said that his gang will fight a multinational force if its members, quote, rape and attack Haitians and spread disease as previous UN forces have, end quote. He did say that he will applaud the force if it helps make Haiti safer. However, the international force will be deployed to combat gangs in the country, so I don't expect Mr. Barbecue will be applauding them when that happens. Moving on to El Salvador on the 13th, the leader of MS-13 in the city of Santa Ana was captured by security forces while hiding in a safe house. His name is Carlos Alfredo Alvarenga Medina. This highlights President Nayib Bukele's war against large gangs like MS-13 and 18th Street. The effort has led to 2% of the country's male population being in custody, but also a sharp decrease in crime and what was once one of the most dangerous countries in the world. In Mexico, on the 16th, 200 Mexican soldiers were deployed to Ciudad Juarez to reinforce security forces in the city in support of Operation Juarez 2023. This is a joint operation between the military, Mexican National Guard, state and local authorities, and local business leaders. Juarez, like many other Mexican cities, has been plagued by violence and organized crime as of July 20th. Over 600 people have been killed in the border cities since the year began. It is one of the most dangerous cities in the world. Moving on to the U.S., looking at the presidential race, these polls are all averages from 538. Biden's approval is at 41. His disapproval is at 55. Disapproval is the same. Approval is up 1%. Trump's favorability is at 39. That is down 1%. His unfavorability is at 56. That remains the same from last week. Looking at the Democrat primary, Biden is at 65. He is up 1%. RFK Jr. is at 14. He is down 1%. And then lastly, looking at the Republican primary, Trump is at 54%. Remains the same. DeSantis is at 15. He is up 1. And Vivek Ramaswamy is at 8. He is up 1 as well. Moving on, U.S. Marine Lance Corporal Joseph Whaley of Columbia, Tennessee, was killed on Thursday night during a nighttime live fire training event at the School of Infantry West on Camp Pendleton, California. Lance Corporal Whaley was attending the basic reconnaissance course at the time of his death, and he was in uh, the fourth of 13 weeks of the course. Whaley joined the Marine Corps shortly after graduating high school in 
May 2022. The exact cause of death has not yet been stated, but we will keep you guys up to date. And of course, we'll be praying for his family. Looking at the wildfires in Hawaii, multiple wildfires ignited on Maui and Big Island starting on August 8th. Contributing factors include abnormally severe drought conditions in Hawaii and high winds from Hurricane Donna in the eastern Pacific. We talked about the Lahaina fire last week. That is the deadliest and most destructive of the fires. The death toll from the Lahaina fire has risen to 116. Factors contributing to the destruction by that fire include an undermanned and under-equipped firefighting force like we spoke about last week. Another factor is Hawaii's emergency siren system not being activated in at-risk areas. This leads to very short notice to no notice for evacuation warnings. Roughly 30% of Lahaina has been searched at this time and the toll is expected to rise. The first two victims have been identified as Robert Dickman, 74, and Buddy Jontok, 79, both of Lahaina. As many as 1,300 people still remain missing. Over $6 billion worth of damage have been caused in Lahaina. Search operations continue in the Hawaii National Guard and the U.S. Army's 25th Infantry Division have been deployed to provide relief to the local community. The Biden administration released a fact sheet on federal aid to Maui through FEMA and other agencies. This includes a $700 direct payment to displaced families. Also, 50,000 meals, 75,000 liters of water, 5,000 cots, and 10,000 blankets. The Small Business Administration announced the creation of a low-interest federal disaster loan program for Hawaiian businesses, homeowners, renters, and nonprofits. Also, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has been working to clear roads and establish communications on Maui, which has been an issue since that fire happened. Uh, right now, as I was saying, we do expect that death toll to rise, so just keep an eye on that. Still plenty of people missing, um, and obviously this is a very tragic situation for the island of Maui. So we will keep you guys up to date as these updates roll out. Talking about Hunter Biden again, Hunter Biden's lead defense attorney, Christopher Clark, asked the judge overseeing the case to be removed from Biden's legal team. Clark oversaw the plea deal that was arranged between Biden and the Department of Justice in June. His attempts to depart from the case uh, come as the plea deal collapsed and the U.S. attorney for the uh, District of Delaware, David Weiss, was appointed as special counsel to continue the federal investigation into the president's son. Uh, apparently, Mr. Clark is stepping down in order to testify against the DOJ uh, regarding the plea deal, so that should be interesting. On the 13th, a MiG-23 UB taking part in the Thunder over Michigan air show crashed in uh, the township of Van Buren. The plane crashed in the parking lot of an apartment complex, but thankfully nobody was injured. The two pilots were able to eject before the crash and are both okay. The cause of the crash has not yet been determined. We will keep you guys up to date on that. On the 14th, I got to talk about this. Former President Donald Trump was indicted again for the fourth time. This time in Fulton County, Georgia, by the office of District Attorney Fannie Willis in the investigation into alleged attempts to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election in Georgia. 18 other defendants have been charged as well, the most notable of which are Trump's former lawyers, Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, and Sidney Powell, as well as former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. Other Trump lawyers were charged as well. That includes Kenneth Chesbrough. Uh, Jenna Ellis, Ray Smith III, and Bob Cheely. 
The other 10 defendants are former or incumbent elected Republicans or Republican Party officials in Georgia. Trump himself is facing 13 charges. That includes violation of Georgia Racketeering Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, otherwise known as RICO. It's a pretty serious offense. Actually, all 19 defendants were charged with uh, the Georgia RICO law. Uh, also, he got three counts of solicitation of violation of oath by public officer, conspiracy to commit impersonating a public officer, two counts of conspiracy to commit forgery in the first degree, two counts of conspiracy to commit false statements in writings, conspiracy to filing false documents, filing false documents, and two counts of false statements and writings. Trump must turn himself over into the DA's office by August 25th. Otherwise, an arrest warrant will be served on him. Trump's mugshot will apparently be taken and cameras will be allowed inside the courtroom when he appears in front of a judge. DA uh, Fannie Willis wants a trial to begin within six months. We'll see if that actually happens. Uh, this case is very notable because like the New York case, Trump cannot pardon himself if he is convicted, right? And if you were to ask me personally, of course, I'm not a lawyer, never been to law school, anything like that, but... The way I'm looking at it, this is probably the uh, most dangerous case for him to be convicted in because these are all felony charges, right? Rico, that's a very serious charge. I mean, if he's convicted on any of this, he will receive prison time. And again, this is a state. Uh, this is a state case. He cannot pardon himself, right? Even even if he wins. Um, also, the Georgia governor, who currently right now is Brian Kemp, a Republican, cannot pardon him without the approval of a panel and. The uh, the situation with this panel is interesting, right? So this this panel that can recommend a pardon of Trump, they are appointed by the Georgia governor, in this case, Brian Kemp, but they must be approved by the Senate, right? So you kind of have that dual approval thing going on. Um, and also in order for a panel to even consider uh, pardoning Trump if he is indicted in this, or I'm sorry, convicted in this case, uh, Trump must serve five years in prison before even being eligible for pardon. And that, that goes with anybody under this law, right? But um, in my personal opinion, this is probably the most dangerous case for him to actually be convicted on, because even if by some chance he wins the presidential election next year and becomes president, he can't pardon himself and he'll have to serve a little bit of time before he can be pardoned. I, Either that or the Georgia law gets uh, gets changed. But yeah, we'll see what happens with that. That is, uh, that is going to be very interesting. But that's pretty much all I got for you guys right now. So, of course, I want to thank you all for supporting this podcast. It means a lot to me. You can find this on your favorite apps. That includes Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, we're there. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Analyze Educate. That is all one word. We are also on Telegram at Analyze and Educate. Also, please consider supporting us again on Patreon, patreon.com slash Analyze Educate, or at Ko-Fi, ko-fi.com slash Analyze and Educate. Be sure to leave us a five-star rating on the app used to listen to this podcast, and I will see you guys soon. Thanks.